Amen, amen. If you got your notes, you can pull those out. And uh, we are, are in a series looking at the subject of self-worth, finding our true self-worth, our true identity. And if you've, if, if uh, what's amazing to me is what, just what a prosperous nation we live in. And we've understand that we have one of the highest standards of living in the world but the amazing thing is, and what statistics show us, is that we are a very unhappy people. Unhappy with our lives, our marriages, our jobs, our accomplishments. And because of that, there, there's a, a, a particular part, a segment in our society that has just, has just exploded. And that's the self-help industry. Let me just give you some statistics here. I found these from onlinecollegesanduniversities.net. And they gave some pretty amazing uh, statistics about the self-help industry, how we're just not happy and content with who we are. Uh, they've, they've discovered that the self-help industry is an $11 billion industry. $11 billion are estimated for what Americans spend on self-help books, coaching, and similar products and services. Some of the titles of these books are this, Women Who Love Too Much, Men Who Hate Women, and The Women Who Love Them. Some of these books, (laughs) these are just bad titles. These these just sell well. Um, Part of this segment of of the self-help industry is fueled by the infomercials. And the infomercials probably pull in the largest sale volumes in the self-help industry. The most profitable sector in the self-help industry is, are these infomercials. Yup, you're not the only one watching these fitness and wellness sports uh, infomercials late at night. There's many people just like you. And TV is helping to flourish this industry. When you watch TV, you may not realize that the bulk of primetime programming is all fueling the self-help industry. Shows like Intervention, Hoarders, The Biggest Loser, What Not to Wear, Made, and others bank on pointing out what's wrong with people and trying to help them and hopefully convincing you that you need help also. So, the, the bottom line is America is, an, is definitely in, a, in an identity crisis. We're not happy with who we are, even though we live in a very prosperous nation, one of the premier nations that have the highest standard of living, but we are in an identity crisis. Why is America have this problem with their identity? Well, we basically are a people who don't, know who we are, we don't like who we are, and we're not satisfied with who we are. And so we struggle with our worth and, and how to go about it to find the right way to discover our worth. And so the lie we can believe is very simple, I've discovered. Our desire to be accepted can become a never-ending pit that can never be satisfied and the praise from others is never enough. It's really, a, a, basically, it's a desperate plea for acceptance. Overcoming our identity problem will not simply be fixed by feeling better about ourselves. The issue is we need to have an accurate perception of ourselves that is biblical. We first need to know who are we 
And why are we in the mess that we are today? Why are we, what's the problem? How come I'm not really happy with myself? Why am I always trying to find something else to fix me? And so as we discovered last week, the, the, the Bible describes the truth of our condition and how to fix it. So the problem with trying to change our identity crisis is that, is that we try to look to external things to fix it, right? If I just looked better, if, if I'm thinner, if I have a better job, if I'm just more successful at what I do. And these are all external things, and these are not necessarily bad things, but the problem intrinsically, they cannot fix our spiritual conditions. They're temporary patches. They're not going to fix what's really going on in our... They may fix you temporarily, but guess what? You'll move on to something else because we're looking for something to fix us really internally. But the problem is we look to the external to try to fix that and we wonder why we're not happy, why this thing didn't fix me, why am I still struggling with who I am. And so in order to feel good about myself, I have to look a certain way, I have to perform to a certain level, and I have to win people's approval. And so what we end up doing is we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. I think that's one of the greatest quotes of the year right there because that, that's just so true. And so what we did last week is we looked at the root of our problem and we understood that the root of our problem is a spiritual problem. It's a sin problem. And we all bear the scar of original sin. So we have to understand this. Mentally, morally, socially, physically, we are not immune to the effects of sin on our lives. We discussed this very deeply last week. Sin causes man to struggle with despair and arrogance and pride and the valuing of opinions of other, others rather than the truth of God. Robert McGee has a, has a great point here when he says, living without God's divine truth, humanity sinks lower and lower in depravity blindly following a philosophy that intends to heighten the dignity of man, but instead lowers him to the level of animals. And that's where we are. And so what I want to do is I want to, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at specific things that are traps or roadblocks uh, in our lives that allow us not to find our true worth to find our true identity. And, and every single one of us in this place has fallen into these traps one time or another, or you may be in this trap right now trying to overcome it. And let me just say this. We live in a world. We're going we're gonna to dissect this because the Apostle Paul brings out a wonderful scripture that, ta- that deals with this very thing. We live in a world that are, is constantly bombarding us with its philosophy on how you're to act, how you are to dress, how you are to live. And, and whether we realize it or not, there's this covert, subconscious thing that's constantly bombarding us about what are we, how are we ought to live our lives. This is the way you should look. This is the way people care. I mean, there, there, was, there was actually, this is how bizarre people, we need to just wake up. This is how bizarre it is. There was actually 
a, a, a news channel actually gave this as newsworthy material. What has happened to the news? It's not news. It's not investigative reporting. It's just half an hour of entertainment. What happened to Walter Cronkite days? Remember that as a kid? You actually had news that was actually interesting, that actually did investigative reporting. This is a, Am I the only one that realized? Okay. Am I that old? <laughs> Kids are like, Walter Cronkite, who I laugh. Um, here's how bizarre it has gotten. There's actually, a, they gave this as newsworthy material. They did a whole segment on how Michelle Obama and other celebrities, the president's wife or, or the Queen of England, how they wore the same dress twice. Right. What? <laughs> how Michelle Obama actually wore a dress from Target. Good for her. I mean, that's newsworthy, whether or not they don't wear. So now, ladies, it's okay if you want to wear the same dress twice. We already figured that out a long time ago, right? It's crazy. That, that's that's how much we've, we've diverted from things that really matter. And that's what they think people are looking for or what is newsworthy or what is going to interest us. So here's, I want to dig into this today. I, I, one of the big roadblocks that keep us from truly finding our worth and finding our worth and the only one who can truly give us worth, and that's Jesus Christ, I believe this one huge trap, one huge roadblock is performance. Performance. Let me explain what this means. Here's the lie that we can believe. That we must perform at a certain level in order to feel good about ourselves. So here's the lie that we can believe. I have to perform... I have to set these goals. I have to meet these goals in order to feel good about myself. Let let, let me preface this by saying it's okay to set goals for yourself. It's okay to do well at your job and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying just roll over and and be lazy. That's not what I'm talking about here. The problem is in order to find my worth and my identity, the lie that I can believe is that I have to perform at a certain level in order to feel good about myself. So if I'm not getting as a student straight A's and a B plus slips in there, all of a sudden my identity goes out the window. Now, it's okay to get A's. It's good to strive for those things. But if my identity is wrapped up in the grade I receive, something's wrong. If my identity, and men struggle with this, is wrapped up in what I do in my job, something is wrong. I'm not my job. I am not my grade. Okay, some of you that get straight C's, you're like, amen, I graduated the 77 average, and so, it, I, you know, I know I'm hammering that pretty hard because I was not one of those A performance students, okay? So listen to what Paul says here. Paul really expounds on this idea of, of us being careful not to buy in to the world's philosophies. You, you've got the ESV rendering here in your notes, but I'm going to read you the, the New Living Translation. So just, just listen with your ears here. Listen to what Paul says in, in Colossians 2, 8 through 10. He says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world. 
rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And this is what I love that he says in verse 10. He says, so you also are complete. You are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. What Paul is saying here, it's a warning. He's warning the church not to be taken captive by the world's slick tactics and vain teachings. Basically saying you can never be complete through the world's standards, no matter how successful you are at your job or how many A's you may receive or what college you may have gotten into through your hard efforts. He's saying you will not be complete by those things. Only in Christ can we be complete. And let me just do a little word study here. Paul uses the word captive. Don't allow yourself to be captive by the world's philosophies and their teachings. Be very careful to guard your mind here. And the word captive was commonly used for the plundering of cargo from a ship. So basically what what he's saying is don't, don't allow yourself to be plundered by the world's philosophies to allow yourself to get sucked into this idea that I have to be what Hollywood tells me to be. That I'm only allowed to wear this dress once. Okay? It it can so easily seep into our minds. And do you ever feel like you're just a bunch of cattle being led somewhere? Let let me just just wake you guys up, 8.30 crowd, you spiritual people that came early this morning. Now, I'm 46 years old. Okay? I can remember as a kid that, that... when you would begin to even begin to celebrate Christmas, you, have to, you actually celebrated Thanksgiving first. Anybody remember those days? Can I get an amen, church? Come on. Woo! I knew you guys would get alive. This year. I, you guys got it in. Yeah, I know. And so after Thanksgiving is when you'd start celebrating Christmas. The trees would come up. The, you know, you'd go to Sibley's. You'd ride the monorail. How many of you rode the monorail? You guys are so old. I like that. Actually, before they took the monorail down, I actually had my kids get in. It was such a neat, neat thing before they, 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 they tore it down. You, you went to Midtown. The buses would run free on Sundays. You, you know, you, it was just great. It was fun. It was these family traditions, going to Sibley's, and it was just, it was a, it was a fun time. Rosher actually did, it, did, it, did that, that part right, and it was fun. But now, how many of you know that, that, that once October 31st is over with, you're bombarded now, Right? With, with, with Christmas stuff, you, you, Christmas music, and, and, and it's this covert operation to get you to buy early, right? My wife, she's not here so I can talk about her. She'll be in the 11 o'clock service. She is so ticked off right now about that. She goes, I'm boycotting. I mean, she's walking. We, we went to do something the other, the other day in the mall. You're hearing the music. She's, you know, everything's set up now. Santa's all, everything's just all set up now. It's just crazy. And Kathleen's like, she's just all, she. I just can't, I just, oh, I, oh, look at, they already got the, they, I, 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 I just can't. I go, will you settle down before I got to call security and have you put in some Eastview jail over here? Okay, just calm down, you know. And, and the amazing thing is, it, it just, knows how it's like, it, it, it just, it was just this slow over the years, a little bit earlier, 
Do you realize now that Walmart is going to be open on Thanksgiving? That, that's, that's where, uh, now I'm not putting Walmart down or anything, but I'm just saying that's where we've gone to. That, that's what, we, we can't even celebrate Thanksgiving, which is a very godly time to come together and actually thank the Lord for what he's done for us. And now we've got to just be pushed where everything is just kind of blended, all mismatched together. You see, it's, it's this world's philosophy that can easily take us captive if we're not careful. So here's the problem in, in trying to find our identity. We, 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 can, we can easily use really bad worldly techniques to fix our spiritual problems. And, and these things will not work. So we can use this worldly techniques to fix our spiritual problems. And see, the problem is they may seem good on the surface, but in reality, they will never, ever, ever, ever fix the root issue. And we talked about that last week, and that's our sin. They will never, ever, ever, ever fix what's really going on. So we can't use these slick worldly techniques like Paul talks about to fix our spiritual problems. They will never do it. And so we end up, what we end up doing is using these counterfeit substitutes to find our worth. And, perf- and this performance trap is probably one of the most difficult to overcome. So what, what's the problem? What's the danger of, of, of using performance to find my worth? Well, we can foolishly believe that, that if I perform to this certain level, And if I can just meet these goals, then I'll feel good about myself. And it can come in different forms. And and, and this is something that that may have intrinsically been birthed within your spirit when you were growing up. And that's why you became this performance junkie or this performance addict. Maybe you heard things like, why can't you be like your brother or sister? Or better yet, you got a teacher and you had an older sibling that was really smart and you had that same teacher and that teacher sees that you're getting C's and your sister or brother got A's. Some of you are relating. You say, amen, bro. amen, pastor, I hear you. And they come up to you and they say, man, you're not as smart as your brother or sister. You just felt like smacking that teacher, didn't you? That made me feel all warm and fuzzy. Thank you for doing that. Why aren't you like your brother or sister. Maybe you heard it from Sonny. Maybe you heard it from your, your parents. You know, spouses, we may, we, we may hear things like, well, I don't see so-and-so's husband or wife acting like that. Why don't you act like them? Woo, that makes you feel good, doesn't it? Woo, yeah, come on. So why can't you get a raise like these other people? So-and-so's kids are so well-behaved. What's wrong with mine? You see, why is this so dangerous? Our worth and our identity can be based in how well I do and also, if you're a parent, how well my children do. And so what we can tend to do is wrap up our identity in those things. If those things are going well, then I feel worthy. I feel like my identity is going well. If those things aren't going well, then my identity drops. I'm not worthy. How come... You know, my marriage didn't work out. How come my kids aren't doing great? How come I'm not like this? And then all of a sudden, there's this performance trap to try to work and try to work hard to make all these things correct, to make myself feel better. Let's be careful here. Now, 
let me just talk to some of you here, a certain segment of you sitting here today. You might be more of a perfectionist. Some of you sitting, some of us in one way or another deal with this, but if you tend to have more of a perfectionist type of personality, you can easily fall prey to this performance trap. Now, let me just, if, if you don't think you're a perfectionist, just ask your spouse or ask a friend, and they'll tell you real quick whether or not you are a perfectionist. Okay, so now, listen. Perfectionists usually do not see anything wrong with their perfectionism because their mindset will be this. It must be done well, and what's wrong with that? So for those of you that don't think you're a perfectionist, let me just explain what a perfectionist might be, and let me describe if you're anything like this. You might be a redneck. No, you might be a perfectionist if... Okay, are you ready? You just might. If, if, any, if the shoe fits in any of these things, just accept it. It's okay. Just accept it, and we'll try to work through this, okay? You might be a perfectionist if, if your emails, tweets, Facebook posts are free of spelling mistakes. You just might be a perfectionist, okay? You just might be a perfectionist if you're constantly looking for typos. You just might be a perfectionist. If you found a typo already in the sermon notes or you are mad because you didn't find any yet, you might be a perfectionist, okay? You might be a perfectionist if you believe that there is only one right way to do most things. You might be a perfectionist. You might be a perfectionist if you obsess over the mistakes that you have made. You might be a perfectionist. If you can't do something perfectly, then you will not do it at all. Now, here's the big one. You might be a perfectionist if you don't have any pointless hobbies. Just something to pray about, okay? I'm just, these are good, okay? You might be a perfectionist if you won't ask for help. Very rarely you will ask for help. If asking, it can be perceived as a flaw or weakness. You might be a perfectionist if you are very self-conscious about making mistakes in front of other people. Now, the problem here is perfectionists demand the best from themselves and from others. And if they fail to miss something, it can be a blow to their worth and to their happiness. Now, let me, before some of you get mad at me here that might fall into this category of perfectionism, listen, it's not wrong to do things well. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. Uh, I, let me just say this. I want a perfectionist if they're going to be doing surgery on me. Okay? I want to know that doctor. I want to know they know what they're doing, and I want to know they got everything right. I want that if they're going to, do, they're going to cut me open. I want a perfectionist. I want, I want a perfectionist if, if, if they're going to be flying the plane that I'm sitting in. Okay, I, I want a perfectionist there. So, so you know, let's not blow this out of proportion. I want a perfectionist when handling finances, okay? I want somebody that knows what they're doing. So it's not wrong to desire to do things well. That's not what I'm talking about here. However, however, if we base our worth and our identity in how well I'm doing at meeting my goal, then it can become a problem. 
And in one way or another, we all struggle with performance. We, we want to do well at what we're doing. And so much our, of our identity is attached to what we do and how well we are doing. And in our world, in the corporate world today, that's what they attach a lot of things to is your identity. We get awards for that, blah, blah, blah. We lift up everybody that's doing the greatest and doing the best. And, and when we get the accolades from other people on how well we do, it makes us feel better. The problem with it, that's not wrong in itself. The problem is that if I'm finding my identity in those things, it will be short-lived. And so the issue here can come even for parents if we're not careful. Parents can fall into the trap of vicariously living through their kids. We want our kids to be the best. Now, let, let's get a reality check here. There are so many Michael Phelps, Peyton Mannings, and Derek Jeters to go around. And one of your kids ain't going to be any one of those three, okay? I'm just telling you, okay? Just live with it, okay? Just live with it. And I think sometimes parents, because they're vicariously living through their kids, they want them to be the best at everything, and that's why you get the jerky parents at the games that make fools out of themselves and embarrass their kids. And I'm one of no, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, come on. Okay. So our identity as parents, listen to me, if we are not careful, can easily get wrapped up in our kids or we can get wrapped up in our jobs. If, if, if our kids succeed, I'll feel better about myself as a parent. If they fail, then my identity is injured. Now, once again, let me preface by saying this. It's okay to be proud of your children. It's okay to encourage them. But we've got to be careful that our identity cannot be wrapped up in them or we will place undue expectations on them that they can never meet and there'll be a constant disappointment to us and we will let them know when we are disappointed with them and some of you are here today even as adults you're still trying to please your parents it seems like it was never enough you never got that approval from your father or your mother and it's never enough so then your whole life is based in these accolades and how well you do and getting that accolade from your parents because you want them to be proud of you and so we fall right into this performance trap of how well we do and how well we do and we want to hear those accolades. So how do we release ourselves from this? How do we release ourselves from this performance trap and trying to find our identity by how we perform? What we need to understand as we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks, we've got to find our worth from Christ, period. And, and here's what I want you to understand about this. It's not because I deserve it or I can earn Christ's approval I find my identity in the one who gave his life for me. And the most dangerous thing I believe in Christianity is when you've got a Christian who is trying to please the Lord through performance-based identity. Dangerous. And what can happen there is it can turn into legalism by what I do and I don't do. And so I'm trying to do all these things for Jesus. And when I screw up, I get down on myself and uh, Jesus is mad at me and I can never please Jesus. And then we just give up on Christianity. And so what we tend to do is if, if, we, if we get sucked into this performance-based Christianity, we're like, okay, now I've got to do this for Jesus and do this for Jesus. And I got to make sure that I don't say this and I, and I don't do that. And when I make a mistake, I know I'm going to let Jesus down. And you're equating this relation with Jesus like you are your, maybe your own earthly parents or your employer. That's not the way it is with Jesus. Let me just say that. If you base your relationship 
by performance with Jesus, if Jesus is expecting you to perform at a certain level, we will all be instantaneously failures. There is no possible way in your own strength and through your own performance that you could ever appease God's perfection and holiness. Give up now. Just don't even try it. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I meet Christians that have been Christians either their whole lives or many, many years, and they're just disappointed with their walk with the Lord. And they're like, why am I such a failure? And I said, well, what are you doing in your life that caused you to fail? Well, I've made this mistake. I'm like, okay, well, welcome to the club. Well, we're going to make mistakes. We're human. We're going to make mistakes. Give yourself a break. Now, if you're willingly sinning against the Lord in an open rebellion, that's a different conversation. But if you're trying to appease God and you're trying to gain his love for you by how you perform, you're going to have a miserable Christian walk. My standing in Christ is not based in performance. Okay, let, let me say it again. Let me get this into your craw. My standing, who I am in Christ, is not based in my performance. See, this is the danger of performance-based Christianity. We find our worth in what we do for Christ, not in what Christ has already done for us. That's the problem. We have messed this up greatly in Christianity. Some of you were raised this way. It's by what you do. It's by what you do. It's by going to church, going to confessional, doing all this stuff. It was performance-based Christianity that you just checked off your list that, okay, I did this for Jesus. Good. There's the checkoff list. I went to church this week. I can check that off. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl because I read my Bible today. There's another checkoff. Oh, I memorized a scripture verse. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. Check that off. Now, aren't all those things bad in themselves? No. But if I'm doing it to perform for Christ, then it becomes me doing it and not Christ doing something in me. Man, that's good. That's good. I just came up with that all by myself. Okay, that's good. That doesn't happen often. Thank you. I appreciate that. See the approval I need? I'm so, I'm so needy. I'm just a needy person. Okay, so here's what happens. Here's what can happen in Christianity. My identity gets so wrapped up in what I do that I forget who Christ is and what he's done for me. And so what Paul does is, Paul gives us the answer for this dilemma in, in Philippians 3, 7 through 10. And, and I love what Paul says here because, you know, if, if you look at the life of Paul, by the standard of the world, he was pretty perfect when it came to being religious and being a Pharisee and knowing who he was, and persecuting Christians, and living the zeal for God. And, and he was looked up to for doing all these things. His former life, when you look at religiously, and being a Pharisee, I mean, it, 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 was, it was pretty spotless. But listen to what he says after he met Jesus, after Christ changed his life. He says, but whatever I've gained, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything that I've done in the past as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered and lost all things and count them as garbage in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or the things that I do or don't do, my performance, but that which comes through, underline that, faith, 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 faith. Not performance, not works. Paul understood it's got to come by faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on what? Faith, not performance. Paul said, I thought I found a righteousness by the law, by what I did or didn't do, and I felt pretty righteous about myself. But now that I'm in Christ, I consider that as garbage. I can't find a righteousness through through the law. I can only find it through Christ, through faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Paul realized that that what he did in the past doesn't validate who he was. In fact, he says everything that I did before Christ, he counted as lost, not worthy, insignificant. Now he finds himself in Christ. He's not guilty. His righteousness does not come from his own good works. His right standing before God comes through faith in Christ. Christ now becomes his righteousness. Christ now becomes our righteousness, something I could never do on my own. And Paul reiterates this later on in the same chapter when he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man, that's pretty depressing. All have sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short. There's no way we could perform enough to please God in his righteousness. Man, that's, that's not good news, pastor. That's pretty sad. That means I deserve hell and damnation. But here's the good news. He says, Paul says, listen, we've all fall short of God's glory, but here's here's the good news. We are justified by his what? Grace, not performance. Not what I do, but by his grace. And it's a gift that he gives us, not something I earned or deserved. Grace, grace, grace. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying here, everything that I did in my past to try to perform to be a righteous person is considered nothing, loss, no gain in comparison to knowing Christ. It's in Christ that I find my righteousness. It's through faith in Christ that I find newness of of life. It's in Christ that I find my righteousness. It's only by grace that I can find this righteousness. Grace, 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 grace. You don't deserve it. None of us do. Thank God for God's grace. So Paul uses this word justification. It's a legal term that means we are now declared not guilty before God. Not only are we not guilty before God, but through faith in Christ and the repentance of our sin, God literally imputes Christ's righteousness to us when we place our faith in Christ alone. Our value does not come from what we do, but it comes from who we are in Christ. Now, don't check out on me here. We're going to wrap this thing up. I had this great opportunity to talk to somebody this week. And uh, it's this interesting conversation we had. And great person. We were just talking, going through some real difficult things. And I asked this person this question. I said, are all your sins forgiven? Are all your sins forgiven? Now, this person has gone to church his whole life. 
He looked at me and goes, I'm not sure. And the next words that came out of his mouth was this. I, I, said, I said, well, you can be sure. I said, would you like to know more about that? He said, yeah, I would. So we began to talk. I began to share the gospel message with them, the hope that comes through Christ, not through our performance, not through what we've done, but what Christ has done for us. It's by faith, through God's grace, that you can be saved and not judged by God's uh, damnation any longer. You can be free in Jesus Christ. And we playing, he's got tears in his eyes, and, and he's just open to it. And so he was very receptive. So are all your sins forgiven? So at the end of all of this, I said, what do you think about all this? And he said, well, I'll try. I said, no, it's not about trying. I said, it's about faith. It's about faith. It's about God's grace. It's not about trying harder. See, that's what religion does to us. Religion, man-made religion, says you've got to try harder. Every other religious system in this whole world is all about I'll try harder. I'll try harder. And you ask anybody, anybody that comes knocking on your door, anybody with a white shirt, black tie, comes knocking on your door, or people with literature or pamphlets or whatever, ask them this question when they come to your door. Just ask them this. Are you sure that all your sins are forgiven? And I guarantee you're going to get a blank stare <laughs> like a deer in a headlight because every other religion is working their way to heaven. Jesus has already prepared the way for us to heaven. He's already done it. Some of you here today, I just need to ask you that question. Do you know for sure that all your sins are forgiven? Do you know that for sure? Are you absolutely, because that's what keeps us from in eternity with Christ, right? If we're still dead in our sins, then we're not free. We're not forgiven and we can't stand before a holy God. We can't receive that gift of eternal life if we're still living in our sins. Are you sure all your sins are forgiven. Hey, are, are you trusting your performance? And just like this wonderful man that I talked to, it was like, well, I think I've done, I think I'm a good, I, it's not, that's not what God asks us. He didn't ask you to think about it. He doesn't ask you, well, is your good outweigh your bad? It's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace. Put your faith in Christ. Stop trying to perform. Some of you here, you've got so much guilt and condemnation on your life because you've been trying to do it yourself. And God says to you this morning, come to me by grace. This guy, when we had this conversation, I just said, well, why, don't you just, why don't you pray? I don't know if he's ever prayed before, but I said, why don't you pray? And right there, he just started crying, tears crying out, Lord, just for me it was just it was like the holy spirit dropped a bomb in that room it was just awesome here's somebody i don't know their past i don't know all the bad things they've done and i looked this person right in the eye and i said i don't deserve any of god's grace i'm such a sinner i made so many mistakes in my life i'm gonna make a mistake tomorrow and I'll probably make a mistake today when I drive out of this room because somebody's going to cut me off on the road and I'm going to get irritated. I've got a wife who's boycotting Christmas. I've got all these problems in my life, okay? I'm going to do, you know, so I'm going to... But here's the thing you've got to remember. Here's the thing you've got to remember. 
When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the present sins, he died for your past sins, and he died for your future sins. Now, does that mean you never have to, does that mean you're not going to screw up tomorrow? Of course you are. But here's the good news. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you come to Christ in faith, what Paul is saying in those verses is that your position before God is now free. That doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes in the future. That doesn't mean God wants you to continue in your sinful lifestyle. No, he's saying, I set you free from that. So now begin to walk in the freedom that I want to give you in Christ. Not because you've got to earn it or you've got to perform to a certain level. No, now walk in by grace. Now, now it's like, I want to please Christ because I'm grateful for what he's done for me, not because I've got to earn his love for me. I could never earn God's love in my own strength. Jesus died for me regardless of how I treated him. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for Bar and Grace to get it all worked out, start being a good boy, start going to church, memorizing scriptures. Okay, good, Bar, now I'll love you. Now I'll die for you, and now I'll forgive you your sins. Jesus died for sinners. You and I are sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Not by any works that you've done, lest any of us can boast. It's a gift that God gives you. Have you come to Christ today? Are you sure all your sins are forgiven or are you in that hopeful? Well, I hope. No. Jesus says you can be sure. You can be sure. You've got to fall on God's grace and say, I don't deserve it. And forgive me for trying to perform. Forgive me for trying to be religious. Forgive me for trying to do it in my own strength. I just fall completely on God's grace and mercy to save me. That's where it starts. And then from there, begin to grow in your relationship with the Lord. You are free in the Lord now. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. That doesn't mean you're going to have to apologize to people and, and make things that are wrong, make them right. But understand that in Christ, you're in a new position now, that you are forgiven. That if you were to die tonight, all your sins would be cleansed. And what was so cool about leaving this talk I had with this, this, this gentleman this week, what was so cool was he was free. You could tell. And this is the one thing he said. He goes, I wish I would have done things differently. I wish I would have known about this earlier in my life. I said, you know what? God's grace. I said, look at the thief on the cross. He deserved to be up there. He looks at Jesus and saying, you don't deserve to be up here. We deserve to be up here. You don't. He said, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom and Jesus turns to that thief on the cross? God knows what he did. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst offenders. Who knows what he did? And Jesus turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This guy didn't have time to do any kind of performance-based religious stuff, did he? Didn't have time to get baptized. Which, by the way, if you've not been baptized yet, sign up for baptism. <laughs> Next Sunday, okay? He didn't have time to... So you have no excuses, okay? <laughs> he didn't have time to get down because he didn't have time to 
to go through a religious class or become a member of living word. He didn't have time to do any of that stuff. It was his faith that saved him in the right person, not what he did. And Jesus is the only one who has the power to save you and to cleanse you and to heal you from all unrighteousness. So Lord Jesus, right now, you see every heart in this room. You know what everybody's going through. You know those that have, are, are, are just stuck in that performance trap. You know the ones that have that guilt and the condemnation from their past. Jesus, right now, I pray that we would turn to you. I pray for every soul here today, every heart that needs to turn to you. Every heart, every soul that needs to turn to you. As every head is bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you in this place say, Pastor, that's me today. I've kind of been in this little bit of a performance trap thing. and You know, I, I need to know that all my sins are forgiven. We want to pray for you today and allow God to do his work in your heart. How many just by the raised hand would be bold and say, Pastor, just pray for me. That's me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Amen. Good. God's going to set you free. Christ is going to set you free from that guilt and that condemnation. Lord, thank you. Thank you for just setting us free. Thank you for setting us free from ourselves, from religion. Lord, from all those things that have just bogged us down. And thank you, Jesus. You've already done it all for us. So we just like Paul, just say, Lord, by your grace, we fall on that. We put our faith in Jesus, who we believe is the only way to God. We believe Jesus is Lord, and he's the only one that could ever deal with the root of our, our spiritual problem. He's the only one that can forgive us of our sin and our rebellion. And so we come to him today. I thank you, Lord, for those that have raised their hands. I pray, God, that they would take that step in knowing you and, and serving you in freedom, knowing that you love them, God, that we're free to serve you now. We're free to turn away from sin now and, and not allow that to bog us down. Lord, just allow us to be free in you today. So I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's just sing this unto the Lord today and let's just worship Him as we close the service. Amen. God bless you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well, the Spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you might
God, I pray for every person here today that the word today would just infiltrate their hearts and their spirits. That, Lord, you've done everything for us already. There's nothing that we could ever do to ever gain your love or your acceptance. Jesus, you already gave your life for us. You died when we were unworthy of it. And what you ask of us here today is just to come. Come exactly as we are our sin, all our shortcomings, and you ask us to come and to lay that down and allow you to heal us and to forgive us and to cover us with your beautiful, perfect blood that was shed for us on the cross. Thank you that, Jesus, you don't leave us the way we are, but you change everything. And your word says, you make all things new. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here that you would make all things new. And God, when we fail, we have a Savior that will pick us back up again. When we make mistakes, we have one that we can come to, that we can find forgiveness, that can 
sympathize with us and can, we can find healing and we can find grace and we can find mercy at the throne room of God. Not condemnation, not more guilt, but forgiveness and healing and freedom. And so, Lord, we're, we're so thankful for that today. So just touch your people now as we go in your mighty grace, God. Thank you for today. And we just give you the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name. Jesus' wonderful name. Listen, if any of you need prayer today for anything you're going through, we'd love to pray with you. Our prayer partners are up here. And uh, we pray with you with anything you're going through. But let's give the Lord just a hand clap of praise. And he's good. Word is always good. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. Go in God's grace. Amen. Love's like a hurricane, I am a tree Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh.